Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. That's 93.1 and 97.1 in the New River Valley and live online on ESPNBlacksburg.com and the ESPN Blacksburg app. Alongside me today, the usual suspects we'll introduce first from wherever in the world his job may take him. Here's Mike McDaniel. Mike, where are you? What's up, man? Columbus, Ohio this week again. Ah, good old Columbus. How are you enjoying it? Oh, I think we all know the answer to that. And coming to us from much closer to the Atlantic Ocean, in the 757, we got Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's going on, buddy? Dude, I'm freezing my ass off. I mean, it, it, it's like sub-30 right now, and uh, I haven't been in Blacksburg in like two years, so uh, I'm, a, I'm a lot more accustomed to the warmer temperatures here in the 757, and instead, I'm freezing my booty off every time I get out of the car. Well, I can promise you, Ricky, that the temperatures here in Blacksburg are no <laughs> fun right now. I'm sure it's worse. I mean, you guys are probably in the teens, right? If I'm if I'm sub 30, you guys have got to be in like 18, 19, maybe like high 20s. Yeah, forget Virginia Tech football, man. Let's talk about the weather. <laughs> this is the meteorology podcast, right? The way I look at it, one of several one of several Hokies podcasts at this point, somebody's got to cover the weather. It is currently a whopping 21 degrees here in the great city of Black. 21. I was close. close. It's only November, boys. It's only November. Boys, we obviously value intellectual honesty on this podcast. We like to hold each other accountable. And with number 19, Wake Forest Demon Deacons coming to town last week, I'll be the first to say, I was wrong. Virginia Tech puts on an awesome performance, probably their most complete game of the 2019 season. The Hokies just honestly put a whooping on Wake Forest, a 36-17 victory over the number 19 Demon Deacons. The Virginia Tech's first victory at Lane Stadium over a ranked team since 2011. Obviously, it felt like that was a long time coming, but boys, a great performance in honor of bud foster on bud foster day at lane let's cut to the chase give me one word to describe the Hokies win uh dominant i'll i'll start ricky uh dominant the um this was a dominating win for virginia tech save for two fumbles in the first half obviously pretty ill-timed uh virginia tech would have been way out in front earlier than they were uh the defense held wake forest down um around 200 yards uh, below their season average, Wake Forest came in averaging a, a, almost 510 yards per game total. Hokies held them to a little bit under 300, a little bit over 300, excuse me. Um, Jamie Newman didn't throw the ball particularly well in this game. Virginia Tech did a pretty good job getting pressure on him, making him feel uncomfortable. And a lot of times it was only by rushing three or four as Virginia Tech has 
done for better or worse over the last month or so. Uh, the secondary continues to play well for Virginia Tech overall, and I think that's a big reason why the, the team has obviously taken a step forward. It's one of several reasons why. But yeah, it was a dominant win for Virginia Tech. Obviously, getting Hennon Hooker back into the starting lineup helped a bunch because the Hokies had a true threat to throw the football again, which is significant. Uh, Hooker you know, he, he finished with decent stats. He missed a handful of throws that he would like to have back. He, he himself would admit that. Um, that there were a couple guys, you know, he missed over the middle. But I think at that point, you're just nitpicking. When you consider the fact that he looked, A, looked healthy, B, was able to run the football effectively, and C, was able to throw the football effectively enough to keep the Wake Forest defense off balance. Uh, you can't ask for more out of his return from injury. So, yeah, it was a dominant performance by Virginia Tech through and through. Obviously, you'd like to have those two fumbles back in the first half. The Terry Sweetly one in particular was pretty bad. And then Hendon Hooker fumbling uh, there in the second quarter wasn't great either. Uh, but, you know, overall, a pretty dominant performance by the Hokies. And offensively, it's the best it's looked all year, uh, you know, and it's steadily getting better and better as the year wears on. Uh, the team continues over the last month or so to play complimentary football. Uh, which which is huge. And, you know, it's something that's an easy talking point, right? But when you consider the fact that Virginia Tech over the first half of the season was, you know, struggling on offense a bunch and then playing okay defense or struggling on defense a bunch and just playing okay offense at various times throughout the month of September and early October, it's really a welcome sight to see how well they've played over the last five really? games on both sides of the football. I'm going to go with revealing. Number one, we learned that Wake Forest simply ain't that good. And uh, even though I somewhat bought into the Wake Forest bandwagon, I think we should all take a moment to poo-poo Mike McDaniel for selling us a bill of goods on Wake Forest, trying to convince us how good they are. Hey, 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 hey. They didn't average 500 yards okay, per but game they on also played a bunch of bad teams, and they did not have a signature win all season. They've probably played one of the worst Correct. schedules Correct. in Power 5 football in terms of strength of schedule. I'd be shocked if their strength of schedule is is anywhere remotely close to average. But on the Virginia Tech side, which obviously people are, are, are going to care about more, we learned that this defense actually is getting really, really better than what we saw earlier in the season. Uh, they really put together a, an astonishing performance against an offense that was one of the best in the country. I think they held Wake Forest to season lows in yardage and points, if I remember correctly, um, which is pretty damn impressive, even if Wake Forest is uh, somewhat of a fraud. Um, Jamie Newman goes out there and th turns it over twice, completes less than 50% of his passes, gets sacked three times. They really kept a lid on this Wake Forest offense all game long, and I was shocked to see that. I honestly thought we were going to see a couple plays break loose and I thought we were going to have a Virginia Tech team that was going to be in a bit of a shootout here. But nonetheless, Virginia Tech goes out there, controls the game. And Mike, like you mentioned, if they don't fumble those two possessions, Tech might put up 40, what, 48 points in this game? I mean, it was it was really – the score really doesn't dictate how much of a, a difference there was between these two teams on Saturday. And it's an encouraging sign for Virginia Tech dealing with as much as they've dealt with over the last – several weeks going all the way back to the Duke debacle. Um, this team is obviously a different team that from then. Uh, it's hard to really imagine that this team has made such a turnaround that they have. And as we'll get into later in the pod, 
a lot of people deserve a lot of credit for, for this turnaround. And namely on that list is Justin Fuente. Yeah, Ricky, and the word I really look for here is is vintage. I mean, the spotlight was obviously on Bud Foster. It was Bud Foster Day, and that was some old-school, tenacious Bud Foster defense. They forced turnovers where it mattered. They stifled this Wake Forest offense and, quite frankly, just kept them off the field. When they were on the field, they were ineffective. The offense controlled the clock. The tone was set beginning with that first Virginia Tech drive that ate the majority of the clock in the first quarter, though they did have issues with execution in the beginning. What could have been touchdowns ended up in field goal, red zone inefficiency there. Obviously, there were turnovers as well, but the defense was able to keep Virginia Tech in the game in the first half, though they went in trailing, and they came out with a head of steam in the second half and just beat Wake Forest into submission. They truly looked like the better team out there, despite the youth, despite the fact that Wake Forest had been putting up crazy offensive numbers. This defense just seems to be improving week in and week out, and the offense probably played its most complete game of the year. Ricky, I want to ask you, if you could give away a game ball for this Virginia Tech win over Wake Forest, who would you give it to? Uh, Caleb Farley. He was tested a lot early on in this game, and he didn't really give an inch. And I, he was a guy that we that we highlighted in the podcast before the game, talking about how important it was for him to show up, given how good Wake Forest receivers are. Caleb Farley did exactly that. He played an excellent game, and he's really turning himself into one of the the better corners in the ACC. And going into next year, he could turn himself into one of the best corners in the country, but. Caleb Farley deserves a lot of credit. The amount of progression we've seen from him going back to the middle of last year, obviously he was really good out the gate against Florida State. But last year in the middle of the season, all the way through the end of the season, Caleb looked lost. He looked confused. He looked overmatched almost every week. But instead, this season he's come out and he's taken ownership, and he's really shown a lot of these desirable traits that you look for in a cornerback. He's long. He's athletic. He can run. He can recover. He can flip his hips easily. He's good trailing. He's good in zone. He's really turning into an all-around guy, and he certainly showed it on Saturday. Mike, you follow this Wake Forest team closer than at least anybody I know personally. We knew that Wake Forest was a prolific offense coming into the game. We knew that Jamie Newman was perhaps the second-best quarterback in the ACC after Trevor Lawrence. And Tech completely shut him down. What did Tech do so well to stifle this high-flying Wake Forest offense and ultimately come away with this victory? Virginia Tech got their best game of the season out of uh, Caleb Farley, like Ricky just mentioned, but also the two safeties, uh, Devon Diablo and Reggie Floyd, at the back end played their best game of the year, both against the run and in pass coverage. Diablo has been pretty good all year. Reggie Floyd has obviously struggled, but he has been better over the last month. He played his best game of the year on Saturday, I thought. Um, I, I think having the combination of Farley, plus being able to piece it together on the other side of the field uh, with Waller missing the first half and, and being able to figure out a way to, um, to piece it together in the secondary in a way that made sense when you were shorthanded, I, I think Bud Foster deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, but overall, uh, Virginia Tech did a really good job stopping the run in this game. I think when you couple that, you know, Wake Forest had 29 carries for 63 yards. It's 2.2 yards per carry. That's not good, right? I mean, that's really not good for Wake Forest. It's a great job by the Virginia Tech defense. And when you couple that with, you know, the, the best game of the season by the secondary, you're going to get really good results. And Virginia Tech was able to turn Jamie Newman over twice. That was obviously really significant, and he was clearly uncomfortable passing the ball all day long. Virginia Tech 
um, was able to get enough heat in his face where he was relatively uncomfortable. And there's a lot to be said for that for the Virginia Tech secondary um, because of who they were going up against uh, at receiver for Wake Forest. Obviously, Sage Surratt hurt his shoulder in this game. He's now out for the season. That's a significant blow. He's was developing into one of the best receivers in the country um, already over a thousand yards on the year for Wake Forest. And um, that was obviously a tough blow, but you know, when you consider all the playmakers that Wake Forest had and the ability of Virginia Tech's defense to stop the playmakers at Wake Forest, it's just a really, really impressive performance. Boys, one statistic I find to be pretty important in college football is yards per play. And when you look at the numbers, Virginia Tech did excellent against Wake Forest. Tech averages 6.6 yards per play. That's their most in a game against an FBS opponent. They did a little bit better against Rhode Island. Now, if you look at the defensive ball, Tech holds Wake to 4.6 yards per play. Wake's worst showing of the year. Tech's best defensive showing against an ACC opponent. And quite frankly, that wasn't really close. We talk about Jamie Newman. We talk about the Wake Forest offense. Is this defensive performance and this offensive performance, for that matter, is this a one-off or is this a sign of things to come? Is this team really just starting to click at the right time? I don't think it's a one-off. And the reason why I don't think it's a one-off is because Virginia Tech's defense has been doing this for the – well, Virginia Tech's defense has been great the last month. Virginia Tech's offense has been steadily getting better. Now, Wake Forest defense is bad, right? That's something we documented going into this game, and it's a reason why Wake Forest – probably isn't undefeated right and um or wasn't undefeated going into the virginia tech game is because the defense was so bad their offense was able to outscore everybody um coming into this game against the Hokies, and they finally faced a a defense that has looked semi-competent and you see the results right they can't outscore teams and the defense is just as bad as it's been all year so it's a bit of a combination of virginia tech's offense improving and wake forest defense being really bad but i think when you look at the the tech offense especially with hendon hooker playing quarterback and how balanced it has looked over the past you know four games in which you know, Hooker started, obviously didn't start against Notre Dame and, and Tech lost a close game. Uh, but when Hooker has been the starter as, you know, sitting there with a 4-0 record, you see the balance on offense, both um, on the ground and through the air. I do expect that to continue because it's been a trend now for a little over a month and the offense continues to get better week over week. Ricky, are you buying? I am. Uh, Virginia Tech has turned it around. Uh, they've done what I definitely didn't think could be done, and I'm more than willing to admit that I was wrong about this team after the Duke game. Now, I'm sure that I wasn't the only one that, that was thinking what I was thinking after the Duke game. And, I mean, given trust the me fact that – What's that? Uh, I said, trust me, you weren't. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, given the facts at the time, it was hard to not come to that conclusion, in my opinion. But the kind of turnaround that we've seen over the last several weeks has been absolutely remarkable. The defense is starting to get their stuff together. The offense is definitely more competent now under Hendon Hooker. And as he continues to be out there, it's probably only going to get better. And as I wrote on my website, rickoftheblue.com, the running game is going to get better because they have a quarterback who's a viable option to run the football now, and they can win the numbers game almost whenever they want. They're able to get a hat on a hat now, and you can start using the running back as a blocker. And that's one of the reasons why Dalton Keene is finding himself in the backfield more and more often. So I really do think that this is for real. Virginia Tech's got a, a, you know, there aren't any really good teams left on the schedule. They certainly have a chance to run the table. I still don't think that's likely given how crazy this Coastal has been. But if I had to pick any team in the Coastal right now, 
to finish the season undefeated, it would be Virginia Tech the way that they're playing. Nobody is on it as much of a heater right now as they are. And I honestly think over these last four weeks, they've been the best team in the ACC Coastal. And right now, I think that they're probably the favorite. Now that you open that can of worms, it's honestly hard for me not to bring this next point up. There is a sizable portion of this Virginia Tech fan base, or at least it seems so online, that appear to be either unwilling or unable to give Justin Fuente even the slightest semblance of credit for the Hokies coming back from the dead during the second half of the season. At the end of the day, despite the obvious early season embarrassment, the Hokies have a legitimate chance to win the ACC Coastal Division and... It's November 13th. We're pretty far along the line here. A Coastal Division championship would put Justin Fuente squarely, as I see it, in the conversation for ACC Coach of the Year. I mean, I know that things look bad earlier, but this is a guy that still is in the running in November to possibly win the ACC Coach of the Year. Why do you think people are unwilling to give him credit? Do you agree that he should get credit? So I'll ask you guys, what credit do you think Justin Fuente deserves for this second half comeback and just talk a little bit about the job that he's done since the Duke game or AD after Duke as the team says and if you have time throw in your thoughts about my possible ACC coach of the year assertion because I know it's a little bit of a reach but I want to hear what you guys have to say Twitter gave me a lot of pushback so I try not to. So it's it's fun to talk about people on the internet because nobody's immune to bad takes. Not, number one, I said that Penn State would expose Minnesota uh, this past weekend. That did not happen. Row the boat, um, baby. Row the boat. Yeah. Shout out Nathan Brennan. Quite the opposite happened actually. Yeah. So nobody's immune. Nobody's immune to bad takes. Um, and there are plenty of them if you make opinions online, which all three of us do um and several others do as well it's one of those deals too where like you look over you know you look out at, at twitter and you try to take it for what it's worth or at least i do it's like this isn't representative of reality in most cases right but twitter it's a is way, not real life and and it's it's really not in fact it's like probably uh, gener generously speaking like five to ten percent of real life like it's not not it's even not that. yeah it's not representative of how most people feel but the most vocal are, are the people that we interact with on twitter because of the nature of what the three of us do um a lot of people fail to give justin fuente credit right now they say don't give credit to the arsonist for putting out his own fire that take is ridiculous on a number of different levels number one he didn't try to light the program on fire first off number two um, the only other option, and I tweeted this, and, and I know you guys agree with this, the only other option, if he doesn't put out the fire, so to speak, is to be a bad football program. So would you rather him just not correct the issues and the team be bad? I don't really understand that as a Virginia Tech fan, um, but that's kind of where we're at. Now, to, your, to answer your question, Andrew, Justin Fuente and his coaching staff did a poor job in the first quarter of this season, first third of this season even. Um, you even think about the, you know, think back to the Rhode Island game and the team didn't play that game particularly well coming off of the, the Duke loss. Uh, this is a team that has steadily improved as the year has gone on. They've been better on defense. They've gotten more experience in the offensive line. They've taken more pressure off of the offensive line by making the quarterback change that they made because now all of a sudden you're not as one dimensional in the running game as you were before. 
you have an elusive threat at the quarterback position in Hendon Hooker who can run and throw a lot better than a lot of people, including myself, gave him credit for. I kept kind of saying, hey, there's a reason why Justin Fuente and his coaching staff won't turn to this guy. It's because he hasn't been able to give them give them enough in practice to give him confidence that he's going to be able to throw the ball at an effective level. I was incorrect about that, and it turns out Justin Fuente and his staff were incorrect about Hendon Hooker's talent and ability, right? Um, they obviously knew he was good enough to play in this football program, but when you get into year three and he's still not the starter and he can't overtake a guy in Ryan Willis for a while who was turning the football over seemingly at will, it does beg a lot of questions. But Hooker has come in. He's played unbelievably well. The coaching staff making that change is significant. And I give the coaching staff credit even more for switching to Quincy Patterson in the North Carolina game when Hendon Hooker got hurt. I think that was the turning point in the season, even more so than turning to Hendon Hooker from Ryan Willis. Um, turning to Quincy Patterson in that game, changing up the game plan completely from what you were planning on doing with Hendon Hooker in the game to now running the ball essentially on 90% of your snaps when Quincy Patterson was in uh, against North Carolina and completely changing the game plan and morphing it to fit his skill set to go out and win that game. And then to get Hendon Hooker back uh, playing at an extremely high level. Uh, obviously he didn't play against Notre Dame, but he comes back against Wake Forest and plays extremely well. Look, Virginia Tech saved their season on a number of levels. Number one, when they put Hendon Hooker in for Ryan Willis, number two, when they, put Quincy Patterson in the game when Hendon Hooker got hurt and didn't go back to Ryan Willis more than a couple possessions. That was extremely significant. The coaching staff deserves a lot of credit for that. The team has steadily improved. Um, you know, I, I don't want to give letter grades because I, I think that's, I think that's dumb, right? Like we gave letter grades a few weeks ago talking about, you know, overall, what would you give the grade for the team? And we, we all kind of sat in the, the C range. Um, but, you know, if you looked at the first third of the season, Virginia Tech obviously didn't play very well, but they've been one of the best teams in the ACC over the last month or so. And I think the coaching staff deserves an enormous amount of credit for that. And the players deserve a ton of credit as well, obviously. You can only put your players in, in so many good positions, but they have to go out and execute. And they've been able to do that over the last month. It's perfectly honest and capable to criticize Justin Fuente when Justin Fuente makes mistakes and when the team stinks while also be willing to give him credit when the team doesn't stink and when he makes good decisions. Um, I mean, I, I've, been, I've been a vocal supporter of Justin Fuente for a lot of his tenure up until this season uh, when things really started to go off the rails against Duke. And then I started to be critical of Justin because the program was seemingly headed for the doldrums and – there was very there were very few signs that he could ever get it turned around. Well, he's turned it around, guys. As it turns out, Virginia Tech has a chance to play in the ACC championship game. I understand the ACC Coastal isn't very good, and it's probably the worst division in the Power Five, but we've gone from a point in the year where we basically considered a bowl game was done, we considered the UVA streak was done, and we figured that, that Justin Fuente had a, a max chance of winning five games to a point in the season where Virginia Tech is maybe the odds-on favorite to win the damn Coastal. He almost assuredly is going to have an, a bowl game this season. And now he's got a 50-50 shot, if not better, to beat Virginia, who is seemingly sliding in the wrong direction. Justin Fuente deserves credit for this. He doesn't deserve all the credit because obviously we've seen a lot of growth 
on both sides of the football, and players are really starting to come into their own in key places. But part of the reason that these guys are starting to develop is because of the leadership at the top of the program. They don't they don't develop if they've got a buffoon at the top of the program who doesn't know what he's doing. Justin Fuente is not a perfect coach. He He's going to make mistakes all the time. Uh, but I think one thing that we have seen over Justin's tenure is Justin is perfectly willing to admit when he's wrong, and he does it publicly quite often. And he's also perfectly willing to change up his style of coaching and his style he's of accountable. play on both sides of Yes, he is. He's very accountable. Uh, Justin is never the guy who passes things off to other people. And f- for Justin to have the, the, for lack of a better word, for him to have the balls to go out there, admit he was wrong, and admit that most of the team's struggles were his fault. Not only did he admit it to the team, but he admitted it to the media. For him to do that and then finally get this thing going in in the right direction and really engineer maybe one of the best turnarounds in terms of season turnarounds we've seen in ACC history, Justin Fuente deserves credit for that. And I have no problem being a guy who was very, very critical of him after the Duke game and basically said that Justin's not going to get the job done and he ain't the answer. I'm perfectly willing to admit that I was wrong, and I'm perfectly willing to admit that Justin Fuente – even if we don't know if he's the guy at this point because he's kind of accounted or you know canceled out what happened before the Duke game, but he's certainly uh, – it's possible that he's the answer. It's possible that Justin Fuente is the guy who can get Virginia Tech a conference championship. I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen this year, but we're seeing positive signs. We're seeing that the program is trending in the right direction, and it's okay to give the guy credit even if you don't like him. I hate to be the Fuente truther here, but, but reasonably speaking – Fuente's biggest mistake of the season was obviously starting Ryan Willis at the get-go in the beginning of the season and maybe waiting a long time to take him out. But at the same time, everyone who covers this conference had listed Willis as a top four, maybe even top three quarterback in the conference preseason. Yeah. Everyone was kind of seeing the same thing. And Willis just yeah, didn't Andrew, real quick, real quick. And based off of how Ryan Willis played for a majority of last season, it made sense that he would enter the season as the starter. Um, based on how he played overall uh, when Josh Jackson got hurt and how he was able to step in and play. And sure, he didn't, he wasn't perfect all last year and he, he slid towards the end of the year, didn't play great. But based on how he played overall last year, start to finish, it's hard not to blame the coaching staff overall for starting the season with Ryan Willis. Now, I think the coaching staff obviously deserves criticism for not turning away from him when he started turning the football over at Will like he was doing. At the end of the day, this team went from a national laughingstock just a few weeks ago to putting a young team like this very, very, very young Virginia Tech team. That hasn't changed. They are still young. They are just playing better. And this young team is in contention to go to the ACC championship game. That is what we consider to be the ceiling on this season. That is what we consider to be the ceiling on this season and is still in play. Give your boy Foo some credit. He turned the ship around, or at least... It looks like he's turned the ship around. Obviously, there's three games left to play. Anything could happen. They could lose to Georgia Tech. What do I know? But if you want to give Jerry Kill all the credit for the fact that this team went from dead in the water to back in contention, be my guest. But it's just intellectually dishonest. But if you can't give Fuente any credit at all, you're being intellectually dishonest. And it's it shows. Really quick, Andrew. Hold on. I, I understand giving Jerry Kill credit, and that's fine. But... Yeah, I mean, and he he definitely does. But also, if you're gonna 
If you're going to give Jerry Kill credit, give Justin Fuente credit for bringing the guy in. Give give Justin Fuente credit for being man enough to admit that he needs help to get this job done. Nick Saban has yeah. three to five former head coaches that aren't even assistants. They're just offensive and defensive analysts. Nick Saban's perfectly fine, and yep. we praise him for it, for bringing in guys who have coaching experience. It's perfectly fine for Justin to bring in a guy if he needs help. I don't understand why this is such a problem. And that wasn't a Whit Babcock hire, guys. No, People are no. saying uh, that that's a defense, too, I'm seeing it. So Whit Babcock said you had to hire Jerry Kill on your staff. That's not how college football works, guys, not at Virginia Tech. I, Whit Babcock did not say to Justin Fuente, you need to hire Jerry Kill. That's not what happened. Uh, this was a cognizant decision on the part of Justin Fuente and his coaching staff to bring this guy in, and it's paid off. And, you know, give Jerry Kill credit because I think he does deserve a lot of credit. Justin Fuente and his staff offensively have talked about how much he has helped um, to get this running game back on the right track. They've openly said that in multiple press conferences. They will give Jerry Kill plenty of credit, and I think the, the fan base should as well. But to say that Justin Fuente doesn't have a hand in this or insinuate that, and then on top of that uh, – you know, for some members of the fan base to say this was a Whit Babcock hire and not a Justin Fuente hire, I think is an outrageous statement. From a coaching perspective, riddle me this. I believe that even if Tech beats Georgia Tech and Pitt and then goes and loses a close one to UVA, say they don't win the Coastal, I would find that to be a superior coaching job, given the youth, given the way that this team started, than Justin Fuente's 2016 season where he won Coach of the Year because he just took a very talented Beamer team full of NFL or future NFL studs to the ACC championship game. There was so much more age. There was so much more talent on this team. One could even argue that that 2016 team underachieved. You highlight the losses against Syracuse and Georgia Tech as ones that they could have won. I mean, it was a talented team. It was a talented team, but they didn't know how to win. I think Justin really taught them how to win that year. And I, I certainly agree with your point on that. But, I mean, obviously this will be a different story if they go 0-3 or 1-2 for the remainder. But as of now, Justin Fuente is having a pretty good season with a team that certainly didn't know how to win. I mean, many of them didn't have any experience playing Division One football, and the ones who did only had experienced the factory of sadness that was last season's AC Street run. To bring this young group, given where they were, to a winning record, to a, a bowl game, to possibly even an appearance of the ACC championship game, that would be huge. We're not that far removed from when we were saying this team was going to get one ACC win. They have three already, have three left. Well-coached teams improve as the season goes on, and Virginia Tech has certainly done that. that. But shall we move on? You guys have no idea how excited I am to not oh, yeah. talk about the option for Georgia Tech week. I'm I'm so glad the option oh, yeah. is gone, I'm with you. man. 100%. Like, I, I, I'll give PJ credit. It worked, and it made Georgia Tech relevant for years that they shouldn't be relevant. But, man, I'm tired of the option. <laughs> yeah, and so is Justin Fuente. Yes, who has yes. Yet uh, to beat yes. Georgia Tech here in his young career. So is Bud Foster. Obviously, given the transition between Paul Johnson's triple option offense that they ran for years to Jeff Collins's more traditional style offense, we could expect that Georgia Tech was going to look a lot different this year and perhaps for much of the transitional period. The new regime brings in a new coaching staff, a new scheme, but yet they inherit a team comprised of 75% players that were recruited to do 
you guessed it, the triple option. And that doesn't necessarily translate so well. So given all those factors, as we expected, Georgia Tech's offense is abysmal, one of the worst in the ACC. And they are the bottom dweller in the conference, though they have improved as the season has gone on. Despite the fact that, you know, you're playing with quarterbacks, wide receivers that are extremely young or transfers for the most part because the old guys weren't recruited to play this style of football. The results have been a mixed bag for Georgia Tech. They lost to the Citadel, which seemed to be pretty embarrassing at the time. Fun fact, and actually still probably pretty embarrassing, but fun fact about the Citadel, they're actually the only team that's beaten Furman this year in the FCS. So that's uh, just an interesting tidbit there. They beat South Florida. They lost big to Duke in North Carolina. They've actually played some pretty close games recently. A good defensive battle against Pitt uh, kept it within 10 points, a 2010 Pitt victory. And they actually only lost to UVA by five just this week. That was a game that I was able to catch most of while I was tailgating for the Virginia Tech game. But let's cut to the chase here. Mike, you do the basketball conference podcast with a Georgia Tech grad. So you have a lot of insight on Georgia Tech. Tell me everything you know about the Yellow Jackets. Well, um, offensively, they're not very good. They've run the ball. We know that, Mike. Relatively. We know they're not very good. No, listen. Mike listen, 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 listen. Hard hitting, so running, the, running the football has not been – running the football has not really been as big of an issue for Georgia Tech this year, obviously, which was to be expected considering they were an option running attack. Um, they haven't been able to – find really anybody to throw the football vertically down the field. That's been an issue for Georgia Tech for a while, even when they were running the option offense under Paul Johnson. It's still an issue now. Um, it's been a rotating, it's been a revolving door quarterback. Let's let's call it what it is. Um, but running the football has been okay. Defensively, they're not quite as bad as their statistics indicate because of how bad the offense has been. The defense has been put behind the eight ball, obviously, in nearly every game they've played this year because the offense has struggled to really get going. Um, it's a one-dimensional offense. It has been for a really long time, but they don't run the ball as consistently as they have in years past, despite being able to to move the ball that way. Um, defensively, uh, passing defense really isn't all that bad. Um, the rushing defense, on the other hand, is not really great. Um, and I think that's an area that Virginia Tech can obviously exploit. Entering this game on Saturday, Georgia Tech ranks 119th nationally uh, in rushing defense. They're giving up almost 211 yards per game. Uh, I, I was talking to Joey about this on uh, my basketball conference podcast covering the ACC, and the one thing he did mention is that some of those rushing stats are skewed a little bit just because of that Clemson came in the opener when Clemson ran for like a billion yards, and I, and I get that. But at the same time, this rushing defense has been a problem for Georgia Tech all year long, and, and he openly admitted that. Uh, but it might not be quite as bad as the stats indicate. I, I, I agree with that partially, but on the other hand, it's – it is what it is, right? I mean, this is a defense that hasn't been able to stop most of the opponents they've played. And in a lot of cases, it's because the offense has put them behind the eight ball. So look, let's call it what it is. Georgia Tech plays hard for Jeff Collins, but they're a bad football team. And this isn't something that is unexpected. I think a lot of people went into this year knowing that Georgia Tech was going to be in a bonafide year zero situation with Jeff Collins just because of the turnover that they had on the roster and who they inherited and the offense that they want to run under Jeff Collins is so different from what they've run in the past. So the personnel just isn't there on that side of the football and defensively, I think he's laying the groundwork and you see, especially in the passing defense, you see 
uh, a Georgia Tech unit that's playing very hard. Uh, in some cases, they're playing very well. So this isn't a quote-unquote pushover game for Virginia Tech. I think the fan base would be mistaken if they think that it is one, even though Georgia Tech is a bad football team. Virginia Tech hasn't beaten them in a while. Obviously, Justin Fuente has yet to beat them at Virginia Tech, uh, and Georgia Tech is always going to give the Hokies a tough game. Um, look no further than the 2016 game. Virginia Tech entered that game as a two-touchdown favorite. Uh, they lost to a Georgia Tech roster that had a backup quarterback, Matthew Jordan, in the game, a backup center and multiple injured skill position players. And Georgia Tech came into Blacksburg and it beat a Virginia Tech team that ended up going to the ACC championship game that year. Uh, Georgia Tech gave it to Virginia Tech last year in Lane Stadium on a Thursday night. That was obviously a very, very poor performance by the Hokies. So, look, Virginia Tech needs to come into this game prepared. They can't look past Georgia Tech. Obviously, a pretty big game against Pittsburgh looms here uh, in a little over a week. But it's one of those things that, you know, Georgia Tech's going to play hard. So Virginia Tech needs to be ready. And Virginia Tech is the better team. They should win this football game. But don't be mistaken, Georgia Tech will come ready to play. And Jeff Collins will have them ready. Obviously, Georgia Tech's offense has been lackluster throughout the year. I mean, this is a team that put up two points against Temple. But redshirt sophomore Jordan Mason has been a bright spot in the backfield for the Yellow Jackets. He's 716 yards on the ground. He's averaging 5.6 yards per carry. He's honestly no slouch. One of the better running backs in the ACC right now. At the same time, Virginia Tech's defense has really stepped it up against the run. Against Notre Dame and against Wake Forest, Virginia Tech put their best game against the run out there so far this season. Notre Dame... Averaged 2.8 yards per carry. Wake Forest averaged a mere 2.2 yards per carry. That is a far cry from the 5.2 or 5.7 yards per carry that Duke averaged against Tech a little over a month ago. Is Tech's young defensive line, this defensive group, these linebackers, are they ready to continue this against a relatively good Georgia Tech running attack? I do. They were able to slow down Notre Dame's rushing game, and that's really Notre Dame's best part of their offense. And we all know Notre Dame is certainly a better team than Georgia Tech. I'm not really worried about the uh, Virginia Tech defense being able to put up a respectful performance. Um, I know the Georgia Tech's rush defense is bad, as Mike mentioned, but Georgia Tech's passing defense uh, should be something you should keep an eye on. Uh, they're actually 31st in pass defense and are in the top 30. They're 29th in 20-yard uh, pass plays allowed. To me, that shows that these DBs are actually pretty good, and Head and Hooker's definitely going to have to be careful with where he goes with the football, and they need to be cautious, I guess, when they take their shots downfield. As Mike mentioned, anyone who thinks that this game is going to be a blowout needs to look no further than the line, which is set at five and a half, and we'll obviously pick this game later, but for a team that's two and seven and stinks as bad as Georgia Tech stinks, five and a half ain't that much. I know this game's in Atlanta. But I think Vegas is is on to something here. I don't think this is going to be a blowout. It's going to be kind of an annoying game for Virginia Tech like it always is because Georgia Tech, while they are undermanned in terms of talent, they also have been playing hard really every time out for, for Jeff Collins. And they're probably going to try and shorten this game a lot like Georgia Tech would in terms of running the football a lot, worrying about the spread option, trying to get the ball on the ground, and taking limited shots downfield. Uh, fun fact, there are two names that uh, Virginia Tech fans may be familiar with on the uh, Georgia Tech offense. Obviously, James Graham, who has kind of been like the primary quarterback that 
uh, the Yellow Jackets have used, but he's been taken out of the lineup a lot. He's a former uh, Virginia Tech commit. He was committed to the Hokies and ultimately backed off that pledge. And then Jamius Griffin, who, while he was never committed to the Hokies, Virginia Tech did recruit him a bit. And he is the brother of Virginia Tech defensive end Jalen Griffin. So just something to keep an eye on there. And we'll see if maybe Jalen Griffin gets to tackle Jamius Griffin. But again, to your point, uh, Andrew, I'm not really worried about this Tech defense being able to slow them down. We've seen that Georgia Tech has struggled against superior opponents thus far. Mike, as best you can, describe Jeff Collins' offensive philosophy in this transitional year. I'm not even sure he knows. <laughs> I, and, I, and I mean that sincerely. Um, I, I think this is one of those situations where Jeff Collins, and, and Jeff Collins is a defensive-minded guy, is a defensive coach by nature, so take that with a grain of salt, obviously, uh, going into this conversation here. But I don't even know if Jeff Collins knew what he was getting himself into offensively this year. I mean, he knew what he had, obviously, from a roster standpoint. He knew he was transitioning from an offense that he didn't want to run. Uh, you know, into whatever this has become this year for Georgia Tech. It hasn't been very good. Uh, But for Jeff Collins, I think he realized that whatever they were going to do on offense this year, it was going to be much, much different than what they did in the past. And schematically, it was going to be so different from what these players who are currently on the roster were recruited for. So I think by nature, obviously, it was going to be a very difficult transition, but Georgia Tech has struggled to find an identity. Uh, To begin the year, they had three different quarterbacks playing the opener. Uh, They were trying to figure out who was able to throw the football. Turns out none of them really can. Jordan Mason has been very, very good. He's actually been one of the better running backs, but he plays for Georgia Tech, so nobody talks about him. And ever since Georgia Tech has begun to seek an identity offensively running the football, which is something they should have really done from Jump Street this year, you know, Jordan Mason has been a revelation at the position. He's been very, very good, and, and I'm anticipating he'll be good for years to come here for Yellow Jackets. Um, so at the very least, Virginia Tech should expect Georgia Tech to come right at them and run the football with Jordan Mason in this game. Passing the football, they're not going to offer much. Um, Virginia Tech secondary, I mean, you know, obviously be prepared to play. I mean, don't roll over. Uh, but this is, a, this is a unit that shouldn't incite a lot of fear through the, through the air anyway. Ricky, I got a fun one for you because you've been covering this team for a long time. Obviously, a lot of fans on Twitter, just Tech fans in general, really, love to complain about how Tech runs the jet sweep. This past Saturday against Wake Forest, it was so successful. How and why was Virginia Tech's offense able to make that play that has had a lot of issues in recent history work so well against Wake Forest? They're just blocking better. I mean, something that has been pointed out kind of early in the season and midway through the season is that Virginia Tech's wide receivers were really struggling uh, blocking on the perimeter. And anyone that's followed the program since Justin Fuente has gotten to Blacksburg knows that he is really particular about his receivers blocking on the edge because if they do block on the edge, it creates so many different opportunities for these kinds of runs. And these kinds of runs are really important because it can stretch a defense horizontally and then you hit them vertically Uh, whether it be on the ground or up up the middle through the air. So I think they're just blocking better. And also Virginia Tech's offensive line has just gotten better throughout the season. Uh, As I pointed out in my article about Virginia Tech's running game, uh, Luke Tenuta has really kind of shined when he's been on the field. He's definitely not a perfect player by any means, a guy who's still uh, a freshman. But 
he's really starting to to come into his own and at that big size i think he's six seven along those lines um he's actually really athletic and they've got a lot of young talented athletic guys up front right now who are still raw but they're going to be very talented football players and as they continue to be on the field uh one would only expect them to get better so Virginia Tech's definitely running the ball a lot better. And those kinds of sweeps, those kinds of actions can cause so many problems for opposing defenses. And it's really important to this offense. Can I jump in real quick? I have, I have one more quick thing to add. Uh, we talked, you, and Ricky, you were just talking about the ability of the receivers to block on the edge. Everybody's talking about the passing game and the improvements that have been made, you know, with Hendon Hooker in the game and the difference that Damon Hazleton's made coming back um, as a receiver. Uh, in the passing offense, but his ability to block on the outside has been pretty significant as well. You have another big-bodied receiver who's able to put hat on a hat there on the outside um, on those jet sweeps in particular. He's done a very good job blocking as well, so I wanted to bring that to light here as well. Guys, I got a two-pronged question for you. In the last three ACC wins that Tech has, different receivers have shined every time. It's been Dalton Keene, Damon Hazleton, and Trey Turner. To you, can one of these guys establish themselves as Tech's number one wide receiver? Does Tech already have a number one wide receiver? Also, what offensive strength does Tech have that will be most likely to expose this Wake Forest defense come Saturday? I mean, I think the wide receiver one is Trey Turner. I mean, as well as Damon Hazleton's played, I, I think it's Trey Turner because of his ability in the running game as well. So he's able to make plays in the passing game, in the running game. Um, he brings more to the table from that standpoint. hes uh, I don't want to call him a more explosive player because I don't think that's fair to Damon Hazleton, but he's a more versatile player than Damon Hazleton. I think that's why he's the wide receiver one, but I'm, I'm open to debate on that i don't i don't really think it's it's that big of a deal if you say damon hazelton's the number one receiver um and i think tech's greatest strength on offense right now is really it kind of goes hand in hand with what i just said is the versatility which is kind of crazy to say considering how bad this offense looked the first you know handful of games of the season and hooker's brought a lot to the table i think he's the greatest asset to this offense right now Look no further than the Deshaun McLeese touchdown run on Saturday when you had a handful of guys going with Hendon Hooker uh, on that. Uh, it was that quarterback option play where, you know, they ended up handing it to Deshaun McLeese. You had two defenders going with Hendon Hooker and McLeese went untouched into the end zone. Uh, that is their greatest strength right now. It's the ability at the quarterback position to make plays on the ground and through the air and the versatility in the running game that they now have with Hendon Hooker at the controls. I mean, I think that's the biggest asset that the Hopis have right now. I think it's all the more clear when you don't see Hooker on the field. For example, against Notre Dame, when it was a Quincy Patterson show, you didn't have the ability of Hendon Hooker uh, in the passing game. It was a glaring weakness in that game against Notre Dame, obviously with uh, Quincy Patterson only completing a third of his passes in that football game. So. I think the versatility of the offense right now, primarily at the quarterback position, is the greatest strength of the offense. In terms of a number one receiver, I don't really think Tech has one. They, they kind of have two guys that do different things and are, are different football players, and they, they find ways to get them each involved in the offense kind of almost at an equal amount. But I feel like if you have a receiver that you want to go to on a third and eight situation, you probably want to go to Trey Turner because he's been – somebody who's just been a bit more consistent and a guy who can rely on, I guess, a bit more. But like you said, Mike, earlier, Damon Hazleton's uh, return has definitely uh, been a boon to this offense. 
In terms of their greatest strength, I feel like it's their ability to run the football. Uh, Justin Fuente has talked a ton about how he wants to be able to run the ball to win and pass the ball to score. And yeah, it is because we've all lamented Virginia Tech's inability to run the football. But now that they've added so much explosiveness at the quarterback position and so much athleticism, it's made it a lot harder for guys like Deshaun McLeese and Keyshawn King, who, let's be honest, neither of those guys are world world beaters, and neither of those guys are top-flight running backs. So they need some help. They're average Division One running backs. Yeah, I mean, you have a situation where you've it's simple math. You have the ability to run the ball, run the ball with the quarterback. And you can use running backs as blockers. And when you can do that, it creates so many more opportunities. And then it gives you better opportunities through the air. And it starts freeing up guys on the perimeter, on these crossing routes, down the field, in the flats, things like that. Things that are easier throws for quarterbacks to make. And you really start putting the defense in bad positions. So being able to run the football consistently is, I think, Virginia Tech's greatest strength. And that's really... In my opinion, it's the primary reason why Virginia Tech's offense has been better over the last several weeks than it was earlier. All right, boys, I'm pulling up ESPN.com. Give me a second. Let's do our ACC pick so we can wrap this thing up. It is getting late. People don't understand. We record this podcast at like 1230 in the morning. So while you're pulling the schedule up, Andrew, let's go ahead and get this Florida State-Alabama State game out of the way. Mike, you are the resident uh, gambling degenerate here on the pod. Uh, what's the line, buddy? Glad you asked. Florida State minus 40 and a half. <laughs> Mike, you will never cease to amaze me how you're able to pull these lines for such obscure games. I'm always prepared because I know you're going to ask. <laughs> so, simple so as Mike, that. I mean, you said 40 and a half. Who's, I mean, uh, how would you go on that if you were betting it? As As inconsistent as Florida State has been, I would take Florida State. You, I'm not betting take, this, by the way. If, but I would take, if, if somebody had a, had a gun to your head and told you you got to bet this game, you're taking Florida State at 40 and a half? I am. Eww. I am. Alabama State cannot – they cannot stop okay, the but, So, But they're on an interim coach in Florida State. Are they even – where are they at? Where are they at right now? They're 5-5. Five and five. It's not like Florida State's any good. It's Alabama State, man. <sighs> Whatever. Isn't Alabama State who Virginia Tech lost to in basketball year one of buzz? Oh, my God, you're right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that, that is a throwback. Yes, Which, for everyone everyone listening to the pod, don't worry. As we get closer to the ACC schedule, we'll be talking plenty of hokey hoops. But I think we're all kind of waiting to reserve judgment to see what we think on this team because it's just way too early, and they're playing way too many teams that don't matter. It won't be as critical. Uh, but don't don't worry. We'll definitely be hitting on some hokey hoops. I know Florida State is obviously an easy team to criticize, but at the same time, their losses to Boise State, UVA, so on and so forth, really haven't been bad ones. I mean, I guess they just got killed by Miami, but we're talking about Alabama State. Alabama State sucks. What, Ricky, are you going to go against it? Yeah, I don't think Florida State wins by 40 and a half. I, I just don't see it. That's so many points, man. That's like... That's it like NCAA points, 14 but... on freshman level level points. Nice. <laughs> All right, now on to our ACC picks that don't include Alabama State. The University of North Carolina visits Pittsburgh. Pitt, a four-point favorite at home. This game actually has serious Coastal Division implications. Pitt doesn't control their own destiny, but them and North Carolina both in the hunt. Ricky, what do you think? 
I actually like North Carolina to win this game outright. Um, Pittsburgh is, uh, their defense has been decent this year. North Carolina's defense has not been very good, but Pitt's offense sucks. And Sam Howell, I, I have some faith in him, guys. He's a freshman. He's been pretty good. Um, this game, you know, Pitt's a four-point favorite. If you look at it on paper, you know, you get three points as a home team. Um, or, or you always give three points, more or less, as a, as a home team. Um, so this is like a one-point game on neutral field. Total coin flip game for me. I could see this going either direction. I'm going to ride with North Carolina here. Mike also had faith in Wake Forest, and we saw how that turned out. Nonetheless, I picked Jack against I know, Wake. I know, Easy. but you have been the Wake Forest homer on this pod all season long, and Wake's been exposed as a fraud. So sit there in your yeah. wrongness and enjoy yeah. being wrong. That being said, I'm going to agree with Mike. I'm going to take North Carolina to win this game outright. Yeah, I'll take North Carolina over a pit team that has been just scraping by all year. North Carolina has been on the opposite side of that, but on to the Clemson-Wake Forest game. A few weeks ago, we thought this could be a matchup of two undefeated teams. Even just last week, we thought this could be a matchup for sole control of the ACC Atlantic, the Hokies. Took Wake Forest's opportunity to control their own destiny away. They're giving Wake a huge, huge amount of points here. They're giving them 34 and a half points. Do you think that that could be covered here? We have reached Clemson minus anything territory, and I'm taking the Tigers to cover here. Wake Forest defense, we talked about the issues that they've had all year long. Virginia Tech, obviously, doing what they were able to do on the ground with a rushing offense that's nowhere near as good as Clemson's and a passing offense that's nowhere near as good as Clemson's. Trevor Lawrence has thrown 11 incompletions over the past three games. Um, Clemson's offense is humming right now. And defensively, guys, look, Clemson lost a lot of talent up front from a year ago on the defensive side of the football. But this defense is really, really good, guys. And Wake Forest offense to a degree, with Virginia Tech only rushing four for a majority of that game last Saturday, that Wake Forest offensive line got exposed a little bit, and Clemson's defense is much better than Virginia Tech's. I think Clemson wins this game and covers a massive spread. Clemson's a 34-and-a-half-point favorite, but we're in Clemson minus anything territory. War machine Clemson mode. Tigers win this game at home and cover pretty comfortably. Ricky? If Mike says war machine Clemson one more time, we're going to have issues. Say it. I get it. I get Clemson is good. I understand. Uh, I'll, no, on a serious note, I'm actually kind of surprised that this isn't the the primetime game on ESPN, even though Wake has lost two games now. Instead, they put I that. I agree. Instead, they put that North Carolina Pittsburgh game on at eight o'clock, which to me just makes zero sense because that's a Thursday night game, Rick. If, if you're outside of the ACC market footprint, you don't give. You don't give – I'm trying not to curse here. You don't care at all about that North Carolina-Pittsburgh game. Ricky, in fairness, back, that is definitely the Thursday night game. The Ah, uh, sorry. I'm an idiot, everyone. Let, let's not edit that out because I'm all for objectivity. I made a mistake there. <laughs> Look, I, again, I have no problem admitting I was wrong. The primetime game is – the primetime game, though, that we'll get to in a second is Louisville-NC State. So you're telling me they could that care? game. Yeah, that's the primetime ACC game. To be fair, Wake Wake Clemson is on ABC though, and and the Louisville game is on the ACC network. It is. I was just talking specific to the conference. I got you. But anyway, forget me being wrong. That's commonplace these days. I'm gonna go with Clemson to cover here. Wake has been exposed. We've all learned that Wake Forest is 
really a slightly above average team. And as Mike eloquently stated, Clemson is very, very good. I take Clemson at home here to cover, which again is a massive spread. Yeah, I'll actually take Wake to cover. It was billed as a good game. Wake's still right. a two-loss ACC team, and 34.5 points is a lot. I will say this. If Dave Clawson wants this to be remembered as a really stellar season, this is his final shot to really make it matter because as we've seen for the for really all of the wins that they've had, none of them are really uber impressive and none of them will be looked back on. But if they're somehow able to pull this one out, in Clemson, or at least play him close, it'll certainly give a bit more credence to Dave Clawson. I'm just saying, when we're talking ACC Coach of the Year, if Tech wins out, that'd be huge. Fuente would be in contention. If UVA beats Tech, Mendenhall's in contention. Satterfield obviously doing a good job over there at Louisville. I'm not sure that despite the undefeated record, Dabo's a lock or anything. Nah, co- Coach of the Year should be Dabo Sweeney. Well, regardless, the whole point of this is that despite the awesome season that Wake Forest has had, if Clemson does cover this spread and just wrecks Wake Forest. It'd be hard to consider Dave Clawson at that point. But I'll take him in this one. Moving on. Syracuse visits Duke. Duke a nine and a half point favorite, but how uninteresting is this game? Duke's a nine and a half point favorite. Duke wins. Syracuse covers. Uh, Syracuse is really bad, but I don't think with the way the Duke's playing and, and what I've seen out of them on offense, basically since the Virginia Tech game, there's nothing that really makes me think that Duke is nine and a half points better than anybody right now. So if I'm betting this game, I'm betting on Syracuse uh, to cover, but Duke wins. Ricky? Mike, this game isn't worth that many words. Duke wins, Syracuse covers. I'll say Duke wins and covers. Why? I don't know. Cuse is trash. <laughs> Tough year for Dino Babers, guys. It's, hopefully he turns it around. He's a likable guy. He seems like a good coach. Come on, Dino. I love you, man. Come on. He did a lot with a little already. He's he's so nice, too. Like, if you actually – hold on, hold on, just real quick. Dino's such a nice guy. He's he's such a cool dude. I got to talk to him a lot at ACC kickoff. Um, Dino, come on, man. I'm rooting for you. Honestly, it's impressive that they had a good season recently. It's not surprising that they were in for a letdown. All right, boys, last one before we get to Tech. The 5-4 and four, Louisville Cardinal, they're 3-3 three and three in the ACC. They visit 4-5 and five, NC State, 1-4 and four in the ACC. I'll go first on this one. The Cardinals are a four-point favorite. I'll take them in this one. NC State is just a bad combination of young and injured right now. Louisville big. I, I have no faith in NC State right now on offense, and their defense hasn't been very good either. Ricky? It is supposed to rain uh, in Raleigh, which makes me wonder if this game will be a bit closer than it should be. But that's not that very many points. I think Louisville can win by more than four, so I'll take the Cardinals. Weatherman Ricky. Hey, weather plays a role in the game. Oh, that's all I'm saying. San Francisco 49ers played the Washington Redskins a few weeks ago, and they beat us by some irrelevant score that doesn't matter anymore. But if they were playing in reasonable weather conditions, the 49ers would have won that game by 30-plus. So I've always thought weather is an equalizer. I think a lot of people think that. Uh, so I would I would be very hesitant to bet this game, but ultimately I do think Louisville will cover that, cover that spread. Lest we forget that the Redskins' entire offensive strategy is run the ball, kill the clock, so that the final score ultimately indicates that the Redskins lost by a reasonable number, which masks the fact that the Redskins' talent level is so inferior to any other team in the NFL, but the close score makes Bruce Allen think they're close. But back on topic, for the game we were he came here to talk about, 
Dude, I've never, I haven't seen that much passion out of Andrew in the entire season. That was absolutely Redskins excellent. Get me going, well man. done. Redskins pissed me off so much. Well done, Andrew. You killed that, man. Virginia Tech visits Georgia Tech, Bobby Dodd Stadium in Atlanta. Virginia Tech, a five-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. This is a big one, boys. Can Tech cover that five-and-a-half? My instinct is yes. Ricky, what do you say? Yeah, Mike, wait your turn. That's right. He called on me first. I switched random. Um, the only yeah, the only thing about Bobby Dodd Stadium that is redeemable is the skyline. I just want to put that out there. The press box is one of the worst in the ACC, and I really would like them to fix that. Uh, actually, in regards to the game, though, I don't know, man. I feel like that 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 number is actually really well put on there. I don't think Virginia Tech is going to win this game in a blowout. Uh, Georgia Tech is going to play them tight. They played Virginia tight on the road in Charlottesville just what was it two weeks ago or last week. Um, Georgia Tech is a bad football team, but they're not some they're not Syracuse, right? I, I think if you put those two teams on the field against each other, Georgia Tech probably wins that game. Uh, I think Tech is going to win this game, obviously. I do think Virginia Tech will cover that spread. Uh, I don't think it'll be by more than maybe one or two points. I'd be shocked if Virginia Tech wins this game by more than one score. Um, I'm, I'm looking at something along the lines of 31 to, to 24 in that range. Uh, maybe even something like a 28 to 20. I don't know. Something like that. Mike, what's your take? I'm with Ricky. I, I think Virginia Tech wins. I think they cover. Um, I, I think it's like Hokies by a touchdown here. If it's by more than that, I, I think a lot of credit will be going to the Virginia Tech offense for their performance. I don't envision Georgia Tech's defense uh, or Georgia Tech's offense, excuse me, putting up a ton of points in this football game. I just don't. I don't think they're good enough. Um, and maybe maybe I'll be shown is wrong here, but they haven't been good enough to date anyway. Um, so I just don't see them putting up a ton of points in this game. I do think they'll keep it competitive, though, in, in a close game at home. Uh, I think Virginia Tech wins by a touchdown. Uh, anything more than that, the storyline will be on Virginia Tech's offense and how improved they continue to be as the season wears on. I obviously gave my pick earlier. I think Tech will cover. This game is, seems like a total trap game potential just with everything going forward. I won't write it in as a definite victory, but at the same time, I do believe it's more likely that Tech wins in a blowout like covers big than loses. Virginia Tech is the favorite for a reason, but you can't write this one in as a win. And maybe that's PTSD from the fact that Justin Fuente hasn't beaten Georgia Tech yet. Maybe that's all the times, including 2016, where an inferior Georgia Tech team came away with a victory. But Virginia Tech is the favorite for a reason, and as such, I will pick them and hold my breath. But it looks like we're all picking Virginia Tech to win here. So here's my second question. What do you today predict will be Virginia Tech's record through the final three games? Oh, man. Um... I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid, guys. I'm going to say they go 3-0 and down the stretch. I think the safe pick is 2-1. and I'm going to say 3-0 and because I do think they beat Georgia Tech this weekend. They'll be favored against Pittsburgh if they win this game, um, and that'll be the, the final home game of the year in Blacksburg. I, I like Tech's chances there. And then I, I do think the UVA game is still a toss-up, but given Virginia Tech's record against the Cavaliers the last 15 years, it's hard not to ride with the Hokies. So I'm going to go with 3-0. Um, but I think if you want to be safe, it's a 2-1 and record. and 
you know, I think Tech's absolutely going to a bowl game, and we'll be looking back on this season, at least the second half of it, saying that this overall has been a success. I agree that two and one is the safe bet here. Uh, it's this team is too young and, and inconsistent to expect them or uh, to expect that they're going to go out and run the table here three and zero. Uh, especially given the fact that Virginia is is going to be a thorn in their side. They were a thorn in their side last year and the year before. They have to play uh, two of these three games on the road. I know that uh, they do get one of their bad teams on the road, which helps. I'm going to go ahead and agree with Mike. I think they're going to go 3-0. I don't, I, don't, I don't see Georgia Tech posing a, a serious threat. Uh, Pittsburgh – Kind of scared me earlier in the season. I don't think that that's much the case anymore. And I've fell victim to picking Virginia over Virginia Tech before, and I got burned, specifically last season. I'm going to go with Virginia Tech to win that game. And we're going to be talking about one of the, the best all, all-time all season in college football turnarounds that we've really seen in recent memory. It'll be one of the best turnarounds I've ever seen. Uh, it'll certainly be, I think, the best turnaround in, in Virginia Tech season history, maybe along the lines of that, uh, what year was it that they lost to Boise State and then JMU and then turned around and won the ACC? 2010. Yeah, 2010. Uh, it, it'll be right up there in terms of all-time turnarounds in Virginia Tech history. But in short, 3-0, and I think they're going to do it. I was pretty confident that Ricky was going to go negative here, but yeah, 3-0, I completely agree. I will caveat that with the fact that I think that Virginia Tech's performance against Georgia Tech, like if they blow them out, that will be a huge indicator of how for real this team is. Can you blow out an inferior team or are you going to let them hang in there? Time will tell. But thank you for listening to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe. Leave a review. Tell your friends, your guys who work in your office, your college roommates, anyone who's interested in Hokie football. If you like what you're listening to, pass on the good news. Also, throw us a follow on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Alex Radio. That's Andrew A-L-I-X Radio. You can follow Mike McDaniel at Mike McDaniel CFB. You can follow Ricky at Ricky LeBlue. We will come back to you next week to review the Georgia Tech game and preview the pit game. And, of course, all of the drama and implications and postseason, you know, ACC championship game stuff that goes with it. But thanks for listening. We'll see you next week, and go Hokies! 